Your eyes on the times, you walk ready to speak up But with so many problems, you're exhausted trying to keep up This is the Church Politics Podcast Where you can get political commentary from a biblical worldview We're not trying to be conservative or progressive We're trying to be Christian in the public square and I'm black as heaven I'm made in God's image Nobody can change my settings Amen. Hey man, cut off my knees And put an end to my search It's easy to sell your soul When you don't know what it's worth Would you know good, Ann Camp You're listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast With Justin Gibney That's me And the Windy City representative The baddest brother above The Mason-Dixon line My play cousin The right reverend Christopher Butler now, Chris, you you were part of organizing something that that I'm really proud that uh, the Ann campaign was a part of. Can you tell us a little bit about the mayoral forum that the Ann campaign partnered with Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago and also the Chicago Partnership to put on uh, last Sunday? Yeah, for sure. It, it is certainly something uh, that I'm also proud of. There were over 40 uh, congregations that were involved in organizing this effort. And um, it was it was the second election cycle that, that we did it. Um, and again, I think it was it was pretty impactful because this was the only um, mayoral candidate forum that I'm aware of in, in the city uh, that actually was led by the church and really focused on the issues that are um, concerning the church. So we, we did this with with over 40 congregations. We surveyed. Uh, over 100 church leaders uh, just to see what was on their minds in order to develop the questions and that type of thing. Uh, and, you know, we got some interesting answers. I've watched most of the candidate forums, at least the televised ones. This, you could see that the candidates were discussing things that weren't necessarily core to their talking points, and uh, they were asked some different questions. Uh, in this forum. So I'm, I'm really proud of the church. You know, hundreds of people, probably 600 people showed up, uh, which was one of the larger community-based forums as well. So it really just uh, demonstrates the power of of the church. And I, I, in talking to the candidates after, um, all of them were impressed with the turnout, impressed uh, with the questions, even the ones that made them a little bit uncomfortable, uh, Im- impressed with the professionalism. You know, Charlie Dates and Progressive Baptist Church really did a great job of just setting up the forum, you know, the the visual state set up. We had a great team of volunteers from the AIM campaign who, you know, just made the, the thing run smoothly, made sure that packets got out to the uh, to the candidates. I mean, they, it was one of the most professional operations. Uh, folks made that comment. And so it was just, I, I'm super, super proud of uh, the Chicago chapter of the AIM campaign, Progressive Baptist Church, Chicago Partnership, and all of the congregations that uh, participated in making this happen. Man, yeah, for sure. Shout out to the Chicago chapter of the AIM campaign for all your good work, all the partners that were part of this. This was the second, like he said, this was the second time we done it. I can't believe the first one was four years ago. It doesn't feel like that long ago, but these are our faith and politics forums. If you want to do one in your city, you should holler at us, man. The the church needs to get involved. So if you want to organize churches and do something similar, you should give us a a holler. We have a a good um, template uh, to make it happen and can give you some advice on how to make it work. So so keep that in mind. The other thing that interesting thing that happened, I guess, last week was how I got over the documentary that we've been working on for about a year and a half, almost two years on the role that the authority of scripture played in the black church. You know, there's this vicious lie going around that somehow orthodoxy is a white Western construct. When the truth of the matter is there was orthodoxy in Africa, 
uh, early on. Uh, there was orthodoxy in the black church from the beginning, and there continues to be. So we want to clarify that. And we just want to show people the rich history of the church. And so that came out last Monday. Uh, you know, that's that's how we wanted to start Black History Month off. It originally debuted or premiered on YouTube. But if you want to watch it now, you got to go to the website. So you got to go to ancampaign.org slash register. If you register for our IVI newsletter, which is coming soon and it's free, uh, then you can watch the video anytime you want. So go watch that now, man. Instead of uh, binging on Netflix, go get you some church history, some black history, some American history uh, that'll kind of, uh, I think, give you a depth of understanding about um, the black church. And so the first, it's a docu-series. So the first episode is out. The next few episodes will be coming out in the next few weeks. All right. Uh, but we got a lot to discuss, Chris. So we can't, we, we you know, we gotta, we gotta get into it. Uh, as always, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Fetzer Institute, um, for supporting us in what we do and how we do it. We appreciate you. And we also appreciate all those folks who give small don donations or large donations over Patreon, dot com slash church politics. Thank you. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. So let's get into it. Grab your Bible, get your mind right and prepare to think not like a Republican, not like a Democrat, but to think like a Christian. And let me start off with this scripture. I want to go to Psalm 27, verse one. And it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, whom of whom shall I be afraid? Well, Chris, I, I and I know I dropped this on you right before uh, earlier this morning, but I want to give two people their flowers uh, today. I want to use this first segment to do that. But let me first uh, provide some context on why I think it's important and why I think what they're doing is so special. Over time, Chris, Christians gained a reputation for being uh, hypercritical for being judgmental and harshly calling people out before ever taking the time to show them that we love them. I think you remember those days, Chris, everything that didn't come directly out of the church or that wasn't explicit or wasn't explicitly professing the name of Jesus was satanic and wicked. And I think some of that stuff sort of got out of hand. Uh, there was no room for understanding. There was no room for common grace, uh, which is the truth that God's grace allows nonbelievers to do good works as well. Right. You don't have to be a believer to do good works. And in many cases, the most public face of Christianity didn't seek to understand, didn't seek to sympathize. It just self-righteously lashed out. It wasn't everybody, but it was a prominent part of the Christian public witness. And because of this, we eventually became the butt of a lot of jokes and the target of a lot of pop culture ridicule from In Living Color to Saturday Night Live to Comic View. Every comic on the circuit had a joke about born again Christians. Uh, we sort of became a character. And in many ways, we earned it. We lacked grace in some circumstances. And so I'm not pretending like all of this was unwarranted or this was some sort of bloody persecution. We came into a lot of conversations loud and strident, but often without context and sometimes ignorant of the topic of, at hand. Some of us embraced anti-intellectualism and refused to answer hard questions. 
Now, Chris, you and I were kids when this was going on, but I really do think it is important to reckon with that moment in Christian history. Because at some point, many Christians in our generation began to feel ashamed of Christian culture. We developed what I'll call, Chris, a cultural inferiority complex. Many of us left the faith, and those of us who stayed, many of us became timid and self-conscious. We lost our confidence. We lost our conviction. Collectively, I think we developed a low self-esteem. And then we started to look to the world, to pop culture, to academia, to secular activism for validation. We wanted acceptance. We wanted to sit at the cool kids table. And some of us could never feel talented enough, could never feel intellectual enough, could never feel black enough without the affirmation of our secular peers. It was a major overcorrection and it was a mistake. Instead of being like the loud, judgmental Christians that we were ashamed of, we learned to shut up. We learned what not to talk about. We learned that if you don't want to be branded as a crazy Christian, you don't touch on certain subjects. You don't critique certain people. And if you look closely, Chris, I think you can still see that complex in a lot of Christian influencers. Not only did they learn to hide from from certain subjects, If they really got hip to what was going on and really got hip to the game, they learned that you could get the most applause from harshly harshly critiquing the church and harshly critiquing other Christians. So that became some people's ministry. Uh, We not only avoid certain subjects, we become apologists of the culture. We become defenders of the culture. And some of us even get mad at other Christians for for offering fair critiques of the culture. That's the state of affairs today. Those are the rules of engagement. And many of us have conformed to them. But two believers in particular uh, stand out as what I would call bold cross bearers in the public square. Now, they aren't the only ones, but I do want to give them their flowers today based on some recent uh, communications and, and messages that they put forth. Dr. Charlie Dates and Jackie Hill Perry are, in my opinion, two great models of giving thoughtful, artful critiques and challenges of the culture. This weekend, we just talked about it. The Ann Campaign sponsored a mayoral forum in Chicago uh, at Progressive Baptist Church, which is the church, one of the churches, uh, Dr. Dates uh, uh, um, pastors. And he was one of the moderators. And this man had the audacity, Chris, as you you informed me of this, this man had the audacity to ask four Democratic candidates in a progressive city about the sanctity of life from a whole life perspective. That is boldness. Now, one of the reasons that I, I, I bring this up, we were going to talk about some other things, but I brought this up really quickly is I just saw a video that Jackie Hill Perry did, I think, earlier this week or maybe late last week, where she offered a thoughtful, well-versed critique of Beyonce through the frame of Christian discernment and idolatry. Now, Chris, 
either nobody told Jackie Hill Perry that Beyonce was above critique and that even Christian beehive members would come to try to destroy you once you talked about her. Or alternatively, God moved Jackie Hill Perry to say something and she was faithful enough and bold enough to do what God moved her to do. Now, maybe on, on the other instance, maybe nobody told Charlie Dates that Democrats don't talk about the sanctity of life, especially in progressive cities in a forum like that. Maybe nobody told him that that would be improper at a Democratic forum. Perhaps nobody told him that the proper response when political power comes into your building is to start shucking and jiving and just be happy that you're in so close proximity to power. Or alternatively, he knew all of that, but he was faithful enough and bold enough to do what he did, to say what he said, because he doesn't put the applause of men before God. Chris, what I'm trying to say is these are two people that stand for something, no matter where they're at. These are two people that I've seen them around progressive audiences. I've seen them around conservative audiences. I've seen them with black audiences. I've seen them with white audiences and every and everything else. And they always stand for something. They're not just seeking the path of least resistance. They're not just seeking validation. So let me end with this and pass it to you. So while many of us are tiptoeing around the public square, uh, we're tough on Christians, we're tough on the church, but we're afraid of our own shadow in these secular streets. While many of us are being what black folks uh, uh, say is scary and being scary is worse than being scared. It's worse than being afraid. In the black lexicon, to be scary is the lowest form of cowardice. While many of us are self-censoring and following behind celebrities and people with political power like lost puppies, parroting all their language, summarily espousing even their most ridiculous theories and just trying to sit down at the cool kids table. Dr. Charlie Dates and Jackie Hill Perry stand out to me as two Christians who have the boldness, the confidence, the dexterity and the compassion to profess the word of God without shame in the public square, to speak the truth in love. And so those are two people that I will always follow because they know the word, they're, they're bold enough to speak it, and they love the church and their neighbors enough to do it in a faithful way. Go ahead, Chris. We'd love to hear your thoughts, bro. Yeah. You know, so I... um it, it was great uh, being in the room when when Charlie asked that question to the uh, to the candidates uh, this weekend. And I was really impressed uh, watching Jackie's video. You know, I, I have a, a ton of respect for, for Jackie Hill Perry already. But to, to make a video about Beyonce, uh, I would say as as a as a church pastor. And I think a, lo a lot of pastors will 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 give their amen on this. It, it takes a little something for church members to uh, to to reach out to the to the preacher about something that you said over the pulpit, but if you come at Beyonce, uh, you know even even the saints uh, will will follow up and try to get some clarity uh, about what you mean uh, if you if you say something about. Uh, uh, Beyonce herself. So uh, that was great. And and what I what I like um, is is that uh, in both of these cases, 
is not this idea. It's not this like, you know, let's just be super antagonistic and come at everything in the culture. In fact, if, if you listen to Jackie's whole video, uh, which I suggest people do, uh, one of the things that she talks a lot about is the fact that she appreciates Beyonce's music, that she um, herself, uh, you know, is or or at least was uh, a fan of the art. Uh, and so it, it it's not this idea that, oh, everything that is not, you know, if, if you're not saying the name of Jesus, if you're not wearing a cross, then uh, then is is demonic and, and we're going to come after it. That's not it at all. Uh, what you hear in that video is a person who, who in fellowship with the Lord and communion with the scripture came under a conviction and as an influencer is using her platform to urge uh, other believers in, in that same direction and, and exhort us through the scriptures. And, and that's the, the simple fact of that. And then sitting with Charlie, like, I think the, the difference of what you saw in the, in the candidate form this weekend, and, and, and I'll take up an aside, Justin, just to shamelessly plug the work of the end campaign in general, because I don't think that this happens uh, in too many spaces outside of, of this one. But, but what you saw here was not like these, you know, like Republican church, people, you know, antagonizing democratic politicians. In, in the in the course of that candidate forum, you know, you saw candidates get pressed on because right now in Chicago everybody's running as like, you know, trying to be the law and order candidate. And, you know, and we, we believe in that, but you but but Charlie and Pastor Dave Marrero pressed these candidates on, all right, we're going to enforce the law, but how do we make sure that we do that without abusing the citizenry. You you heard the moderators uh, lead the candidates through a conversation to really wrestle with, you know, how we maintain compassion toward uh, uh, migrants who are coming to the city, as, as well as maintain some integrity uh, in terms of just, you know, city finances and operations, that type of thing. Uh, and so th- this was a very thoughtful conversation. But we, as I, I shared at the top, we, we surveyed over 100 church leaders and asked church leaders what was on their minds. And abortion and, and the issue of the sanctity of life was really on the minds of the the church members, I mean, the church leaders. And so we wrote a question. Uh, the the end campaign uh, chapter leaders wrote uh, several questions for the moderators to choose from. We wrote the questions. Uh, but if, if you're doing a candidate forum, uh, you want to leave the final discretion to the moderators, right? So we, we wrote many more questions than we thought would ever get asked in the forum. Yeah, yeah Charlie could have skipped it. He he elected to not skip it. And I just want to say that, that that takes a ton of courage, right? Because, you know, Dr. Charlie Dates is uh, leading two significant congregations uh, in the city of Chicago. One of the people on that stage is going to be mayor come June. And every person on that stage was made uncomfortable by that question. For him to go ahead and ask it took courage. Uh, and it does make an impact. There is there is now, thanks to Charlie Dates, video of Lori Lightfoot talking about the fact that she thinks that it's good for a pregnant mom to keep her baby. Now, she didn't say that she supports, you know, any kind of abortion restrictions or anything like that. She definitely reasserted her um, position as a 
you know, a pro-choice Democrat, but she talked about the need to find common ground with whole life activists and with uh, pro-life communities. And she talked about the, the basic virtue in carrying a pregnancy to term, which is something that I don't think ever happens uh, in any other type of environment. It just speaks to the need for us to have this type of courage uh, because you can, you can impact people, you can shape people uh, if you have the courage to do it. Yeah. Let me ask you this, though. What do you th- is there something to this cultural inferiority complex? Why are other why are a, a, a lot of other Christian influencers not doing what we see Jackie and Charlie doing? Yeah, I, I think that 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 we do have that kind of cultural infer- inferiority complex. And I think the church is maybe a a forerunner of something that has happened more broadly in the culture, which I could I could take time to talk about how I think the church is influencing culture, whether we know it or not. But I, I do think we began to retreat from that position of providing cultural critique. Um, but today you almost see just across the whole generation, like if you if you talk to a lot of Gen Xers, millennials, Gen Z, you know, young adults more, more broadly, don't tell other people what to do is kind of a core value. In, in that frame, we're actually teaching people to be fearful of of providing any kind of critique of any type of behavior, any type of thought process. And I think it's making our culture weak, right? I think that's one of the contributing factors to uh, a a lot of the kind of social emotional difficulties that we have is that we don't challenge each other. And the scriptures tell us that uh, like iron sharpens iron, one man is supposed to sharpen another, but we can't sharpen each other if we don't. Well, we don't challenge each other. We don't challenge each other on moral issues. We'll challenge each other when it comes to justice, all that stuff. But if it's a moral issue, it's like to each their own. You don't want to touch that, which is directly from kind of like an enlightenment, you know, postmodern way to way to view the world. Um, uh, Because and and I get it. Nobody wants to be judgmental and we shouldn't be going around condemning folks all the time. But just as Jackie talked about, it's about the discernment. You still have to discern between right and wrong and care enough about people to say, hey, that's not right. Whether they take your advice or not, you still need to be willing to say it. And nobody, let me tell you, everybody runs from critiquing Beyonce. Jay-Z, Jay-Z could wear a shirt that says, I love the devil. It could, you know what I'm saying? It be a quote from a Satanist. Nobody will say anything. We'll act like it didn't happen. And this, and this is not just about them. So I don't want to make it about Beyonce and Jay-Z. But I'm just saying, like, our unwillingness to say, no, that's not right because we want to fit in or because we don't want to look like Christians of the past has really weakened our public witness. And what I'm trying to do here, Chris, and I know you know this, is challenge Christians not to be strident, not to be like Theo bros and going around telling everybody they're wrong, but love people enough to offer a faithful and loving but straightforward critique of right and wrong. Yeah, Instead and of you use the word Christians walk into bad situations. You used the word, Justin, uh, earlier that I think is is probably the skill that we need to develop because you use the word to describe Charlie and Jackie dexterity, right? And I, and I think if if you get locked into one thing or the other and you don't have that kind of flexibility and 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 that kind of intellectual capacity to move between you know af- affirming what is good in people outside of the church, outside of your ideological tribe, and then being able to 
turn and critique that and doing the same thing towards your tribe, right? There's some things in your tribe that are good and, and, and praiseworthy and you should support that stuff, but you have to be able to move pretty well uh, over those things. And and that's why I like people like you, Justin, like Jackie, like Charlie, who are kind of out there so that people can see if you, if you follow over the long term. You can you can kind of see that dexterity uh, come into play every time you see Charlie Dates. He's not going to be exactly. railing at some politician about it. Exactly. exactly, and they're willing to take the hits though too, right? Like it's not like I'm gonna throw a rock high in my hands or high from. No, I know when I say this, I have to take the hits, but that's the cost of discipleship. And if our whole ministry, if our whole public witness is about avoiding taking hits from the culture. Really, what have what have we become? We we have to find a better place than the side that's always just hypercritical, criticizing anything that comes from the culture. And then the side, which is most of a lot, I won't say most, but a lot of people in our generation, which is I validate and affirm everything the culture does because I don't want to look like that other type of Christian. We've got to find a more faithful witness than that. And I just thought those were two exact two very good examples of folks who are just trying to be faithful. They're not trying to prove a point. They're not trying to hurt nobody's feelings, but they are going to speak into issues that need to be spoken about regardless if they're going to take hits or not. Yeah, for sure. I think they're great models and we need more of it. And not just, not just those who have like a super large platform, right? Like we, we need this kind of this is everyday uh, stuff. Christianity yeah. and, and day-to-day life, you know, yeah. around the family, you know, meeting tables and your work environments. This is how we need to do it. So I applaud those folks and urge and campaign people to to live this way. It's possible uh, and the culture needs it. Amen. Salute to uh, Jackie Hill Perry. Salute to uh, Dr. Charlie Dates. Uh, you are a ch- church folks champs, man. We, we appreciate you and support you. We will be right back on the Church Politics Podcast. Are you too progressive for conservatives and too conservative for progressives? As a Christian, do you find yourself feeling politically homeless? If so, then you're not alone. Listen, this is Justin Gibney, president of the Ann Campaign. And if you're a Christian who doesn't know a whole lot about politics or someone who knows a good deal about politics but wants to be more faithful in the public square, then you have to read the Ann Campaign's book, Compassion and Conviction. The Ann Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement that we published with InterVarsity Press. Whether you just want to understand the relationship between church and state, why Christians should engage politics at all, how Christians should engage partisanship, politics and race, advocacy and protest, or even civility, this is the book for you. It's very much Bible-centered. It's Bible study and small group friendly. There are questions and exercises after every chapter that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast with Justin Gibney and the right reverend, Christopher Butler. Chris, I ran into a rather interesting article on The Intercept about ESG or environmental, social and governance criteria. According to McKinsey and Company, 
ESG criteria are useful in measuring a company's progress toward achieving social goals in addition to creating shareholder value. So you have these two goals here. You have social goals and you have shareholder value. I wonder what happens when those come into conflict. But anyway, this is how the uh, article started off. It said CoreCivic, the first publicly traded prison company uh, in America and the first to operate both private prisons and private immigration detention centers for, pro- for on a for-profit basis, had another first that they wanted to announce. Civic Corps, I mean, I'm sorry, Core Civic Inc. was the first company after the George Floyd protest to proactively conduct a racial equity audit, the, the results of which they felt were very positive. In an accompanying, accompanying report with those results um, on the company's diversity, equity, and inclusion, as you guys know, known as DEI, Core Civic touted its ranks of non-white prison guards, diversity on its board of directors, and diverse ranks of wardens, as well as its partnership with a uh, black-led pro-business trade group. But a growing chorus, Chris, of critics have questioned the lofty promises of ESG investing. So basically what happens, you get these ESG scores based on that cri- based on that criteria and people actually invest in you because they feel like oh they're doing social good along with being able to make a nice profit. So people have kind of been criticizing that. They say that the high-minded rhetor- rhetoric of the movement uh, serves to enrich a small set of ESG focus consultants and fund managers while misleading the public and investor and the investor community and providing little to no benefit to society. Now, these, Chris, are kind of measures of goodness. Like this is how we can measure the goodness of a company. But obviously, these measures can be manipulated. And if you read through the rest of this article, it goes on to talk about how the criteria for what constitutes a socially responsible investment can change from day to day. Right. So what we're seeing here is people setting up measures to show you how righteous they are. But really manipulating those measures and exploiting society in a way. And what came to mind to me when I read this, Chris, was why the Bible tells us to do things in sincerity and truth. Right. Um, a private prison talking about how righteous and good it is by hiring a few people, hiring a few guards and putting a few people on their uh, board while having all these complaints. And it talks about the complaints that they have and all this other stuff, but somehow being able to put a, basically being able to perfume the pig based on this ESG criteria is incredibly problematic and it's obviously um, just it seems very hypocritical, right? It, it seems so duplicitous, but it's something that a lot of investors are falling into because it can make you feel good. But we have this whole manipulation as I see it. W- what are your thoughts on this uh, ESG uh, conversation? So, I mean, I've been uh, deeply critical of this this whole setup. Um, I think it's it's. It's corrupt in so many ways. Uh, I, I will say that reading the article uh, in the Intercept um, kind of broke my heart a little further because I did not realize how entangled 
uh, the kind of justice and civil rights community was in a lot of this activity, seeing, you know, Mark Muriel from the the Urban League being, you know, in one of these boards, Thurgood Marshall Jr. Uh, on one of these boards, the NAACP completely partnered uh, with one of these uh, companies that are involved in something that I think is, is, is simply um, at, at best an ineffective strategy, at worst something that is completely, completely corrupt. Because as you said, uh, to have a mechanism that is at the same time supposed to maximize and increase investor profits and uh, promote social good and social welfare, I think is deeply problematic when much of what we know about, um, you know, just capitalism and, and how it needs to be checked uh, what it, it would just be lie that whole setup, right? Because the the quest for corporate profits uh, is is always going to to trump the quest for social good. Uh, and what what this stuff does is, like you said, creates this kind of false environment where people can get these positive scores. I mean, folks are getting positive scores just to put this in 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 kind of a tangible frame for any listener that one of these companies got a positive score because they put a Martin Luther King mural in a migrant detention center. So think border detention center, children being separated from their parents, you know, whatever you think about, you know, like border policy, put that aside for a moment. What is happening in this facility is is very, very difficult uh, social experience for anybody. And because there's an MLK mural on the wall, that is somehow supposed to be marked as a social good. Uh, if, if anything, is some kind of a strange antagonism uh, and uh, besmirchment of the legacy of, of a great civil rights leader, not a contribution to social good. And so it's like I said, at, at best is deeply flawed at, at worst, just completely corrupt. Yeah. And you got organizations like BlackRock, which are destroying, you know, the housing market. And we know they didn't necessarily start it, but they're certainly not helping the housing market or what some would consider the American dream. But if they get the right number of minorities on their board, if they hire a couple of people here and there, if they wear the shikis and take a knee, you know, for pictures, now they become some social good that people should invest. They get more money for it. You get more money for perform. This is perform. This is all performative. It doesn't help you to put two people on your board when they don't have two black people on your board and they don't have the power to make any decisions. Yeah. And to, to be clear, the way they're getting more money is that they're charging more to more like higher fees to invest in these ESGs because they are, you know, deceiving people who want to make socially responsible investments um, into thinking that they're investing in a different type of company. When, you know, when you look at the portfolios of these ESGs, you're investing in the exact same companies. You're investing in Amazon, Meta, Coca-Cola, like all the companies that you would be investing in. If you just gave your money to like a regular, you know, fund manager at, you know, let me not call any fund managers, but you know, like you, you just go to a regular, uh, at, you know, fund manager, you would be getting these exact same investments. You just get them at a much higher fee because you're being told that these 
that these companies are being socially responsible. Exactly. And, and and let's be clear, some folks might enter into this ESG stuff with the best of intentions. So this isn't to say that everybody that, you know, applies this criteria or whatever is is uh, doing it to be cynical and deceptive. But the way that these criteria are changing, the way that you can really get into any industry. I mean, you could really be in any industry. And as long as you do the performative stuff, as long as you take care of the outer, you know, as long as you clean the outside of the cup, yeah. so to speak. Uh, you you can be go. creating pollution, but put like a couple solar panels on the roof. And, you know, now you're like uh, pro-environment uh, and creating that kind of social good. It's insane. Yeah, it's, um, it's what's been called woke capitalism. And it's it's a manipulation of the good work that needs to really be done in society. Um, it, it, it gives us the, it, 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 it takes the substance of all that stuff away and just gives us, you know, the, the superficial uh, pieces of it. And people are supposed to get credit for that. But I think it, it can happen. I think the reason it is happening is because it's too easy to move in this direction when we lose focus, right? Like we, when the, when the, the goal of our kind of anti-poverty social justice kind of efforts becomes to see how many people we can get into the millionaires club, how many people can get into the billionaires club. We have lost the focus, right? Like the, the focus of that kind of work has to be uh, how many we can get out of poverty. Right. How many people we can get out of homelessness, not how many people we can get into, uh, you know, these clubs, because that's what happens when you get to uh, when you shift that focus. You can start, you know, well, we got some folks on our board, you know, and it's 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 the same thing. Right. It's a more diverse set of corporatists. It's a more representative, oppressive regi- regime. And, and somehow that's supposed to be counted as good. But that's because we, we lost focus on the goal. This is not, it's not about getting people into the millionaires and billionaires club. It's about getting people out of those uh, really difficult positions of, of, uh, of life. And I, and I will say the other wrongheaded piece of this is the idea that we don't need laws to enforce social good and to check capitalism. We need laws to do that. You, we do not leave it to the sort of uh, good judgment of corporate leaders uh, to ensure that they don't do anything that will negatively impact the uh, the the profits for their investors. We don't leave that to their good judgment. That's illegal. And folks can be prosecuted, fined, and jailed if they do that. We should not leave it to the good judgment of, you know, corporate leaders to make sure that that we're pursuing social good if we think that that is uh, an important objective in in corporate life. Yeah, that's that's right. And uh, we should all be discerning enough not to just fall for the veneer of goodness, the veneer of good works, when underlying that veneer could be all kinds of negative things that are tearing apart communities completely, but somehow they make more money for for, for the performatives and superficial side of everything. We, we got to get out of this segment, but we will be right back on the Church Politics Podcast. Church Politics Podcast with Justin Gibney and the Right Reverend Christopher Butler. Uh, Chris, my hometown newspaper, uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitutional, has been doing some outstanding reporting on 
uh, the housing issue here in Atlanta. And I want to give a shout out because this is really what journalism is supposed to investigative journalism is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be exposing things like this, not just serving, you know, um, not just being the corporate media, but actually making sure that they're exposing things that people might not see uh, if, if they're not close enough to it. Um, and so this this is kind of what it's about. It, it, it did this whole series and it's been an ongoing series since last year about the housing market and about how some companies are making the housing market uh, really, really basically t- turning the housing market into a renter's market and really exploiting uh, certain people. Uh, And this is how it kind of starts off. It says in the wake of the Great Recession, investors have scooped up thousands of single family homes across Metro Atlanta. They compete against families for a limited supply in all but the wealthiest neighborhoods. Instead of building wealth for residents, these homes are now uh, a vehicle for shareholder profits. And then it gives us uh, some examples of what the problems, some of the problems going on here are. And this is the this is the latest uh, piece that came out. Uh, last weekend. So here's an here's a here's a uh, an example it gives us. It says Tawana Randall's landlord charged her fifteen a fifteen dollar penalty every month for not having renter's insurance. Under her lease, the insurance had to benefit not just herself but also Progressive Residential, the company that owned the four bedroom home. Randall said she sent proof of her policy. She emailed. She called, and month after month. The $15 fees kept hitting her account. Okay. Finally, in August uh, 2022, a a progress employee called Randall about the policy. And she said, uh, so she called about the policy, um, but not to clear up the dispute. Right. But she called her because her house went up in flames and progress wanted to cash the insurance check. So they hadn't responded to the $15 penalty that they $15 penalty they had been given her, but they called her when the house burned down because they wanted to be able to cast the check. All right. Here's another problem that, that they're experiencing with all these these folks buying up these uh, corporations, buying up these homes. It says reliance on computer animation makes minor problems that could be solved, that could be resolved with a conversation conversation snowball into endless runarounds. Unanswered emails lead lead to infuriating phone calls. Two hours on hold leads to empty promises that someone in another department will call you back. Over and over, Progress's tenants described being trapped between two bad choices. Pay outrageous fees they believe were charged in error or refuse and risk their financial credit when the company's software locks them out of their account and triggers an eviction filing. So you have instances where people are being charged for things they shouldn't be charged for because this is all computer, you know, a lot of this is computer animated. And then if they don't pay it, they end up getting evicted. And when you get evicted, obviously that messes up your credit. Chris, can you speak into this madness and and why our politicians, our leaders need to start doing something about it? Yeah, first... I will join you and shout out to uh, this this local journal because I and, and I will urge if there's anybody who's in journalism in and around Chicago, like 
the, the way that, that this piece goes into detail about how this dynamic is impacting locally in, in Atlanta, I think it's very useful because this, this is happening in a lot of places all over the country. Uh, and I, I think, you know, this this makes me very very upset, Justin, and I think it should make the church upset. Um, and 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 here's why: if you look in Nehemiah chapter five, uh, you see a very similar situation. Because what what has happened is that uh, COVID completely disrupted uh, the the housing market. Like we, we we haven't had great housing situation in the United States for a long time, but COVID made it horrible. And in the midst of that. Um, that environment where in, inflation's going up, people are not earning enough, uh, and families are unable to to buy houses, many unable to keep the homes that they own. Um, these corporations have swooped in and started buying up these houses. And Nehemiah, you have a similar thing. You have a, a famine that causes folks to have to, to essentially mortgage their their land, and then the folks who bought it uh, begin to exploit the the residents based on their inability to own to own their land. And Nehemiah's words are, I was very angry when I heard this. Um, And we should be very angry uh, with this. This should be illegal uh, for corporations to come in and buy up this many single family homes. When when you and I buy our homes, Justin, we have to, one of the things that that helps us get the, the right kind of mortgage is that it's a home that we intend to live in. And there needs to be laws that are placed on the books that block corporations from buying up this many single family homes. Otherwise, we'll make a a permanent rental class uh, of an entire generation of of Americans. And homes are where most American families build uh, family and community wealth. Uh, So this aims to decimate families uh, and communities. And if if you're pro-family and pro-community, they should make you very upset and you should be talking to your legislators about doing something about it. Right. So not only are they evicting people and just making their life more difficult, if you're struggling to get fifteen dollar fifteen dollar hit that fee that you don't don't deserve every month hurts. If you don't think it hurts, then you need to talk to some people who are living check to check in that way. To have to stay on the phone when you got stuff to do and you may not have good transportation because you're you're talking to computers and nobody's really responding to you is ridiculous. That can that is so frustrating. You can lose it having to go through that over and over, especially on major issues on like a eviction. I can't talk to a human being. You can have a computer. That should be there. Should be no computer that can trigger an eviction notice and and evict you without having a real conversation. We've got to care. And so for the people who are in this um, industry, and I'm sure it's a lucrative industry for people who are thinking about getting into this industry. Pray on that a little bit. Think about whether the money that's coming from this is worth the pain that you're causing people. Because if you really know what it's like to be in a situation where you're unsure about your housing. Or you're stressed out about paying next month's rent and you really don't have the extra fifteen dollars because your kid needs lunch money. Think about what you're doing and think about. All the patriots and how how you know much we believe in the American dream and what we're doing to that dream, because once we buy all that stuff up, hey, to to uh, raise rents to crazy amounts and control in that way is nothing. And so we got to decide if this that's the country we want we want to live in if that's how we want to treat 
our neighbor, literally. Close this out, Chris. Yeah, I would just add to one thing is that it's urgent because these companies, they bought up a a ton of houses and they're continuing to do it. And once they have the houses, they have them because, you know, trying to get them back, everybody's going to scream socialism. Um, So, you know, this is urgent to really for for the church to really engage in this housing issue uh, in in real time. And, And I'll just end by saying this, too. When you vote for somebody, I don't care if they're black, white. Republican, Democrat, progressive, liberal, conservative, if they are captured by corporations, if they're not willing to stand up to corporations, I don't care what their identity is. They're not going to stop. They're not going to push against this. Because they just want the money. They just want to be in, you know, they just want the perks. You need to make sure that you're voting for people with integrity. I don't care what color or party or ideology they are. All right, folks. Well, as always, we appreciate y'all joining us. We hope that you enjoyed uh, this episode. And Camp, you already know that there's a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Until next time, Ann Camp. Well, I'll let you. Yeah, Lord.